From Brown Cow Studios in Montana, this is News Nerds. On this week's episode, I talked to Jeremy Hobson. Jeremy was the host of NPR's Here and Now, and before that, the Marketplace Morning Report. He talks to me about his experience at Here and Now, why he left, his early career in radio when he contributed to a WILL show in Illinois called Treehouse Radio at the age of nine, what the LGBTQ movement means to him as a gay man, and more. Also, a mass shooting in San Jose has left nine dead, including the gunman, after the gunman and an employee at the Valley Transportation Authority opened fire. We'll cover that. And Eric Carle, the renowned children's book illustrator, has died at the age of 91. I'm your host, Ezra Graham, who is experiencing a very bad hair day. And without further ado, it's News Nerds. In a continuation of back-to-back mass shootings this year, San Jose, California was the latest city where a mass shooting took place. This time the shooting took place at a California rail yard. The shooting killed nine people, including the male shooter who killed himself. The suspect worked at the Valley Transportation Authority. The VTA serves Santa Clara County with transportation, including buses and light rail. The transportation company is located across from San Jose National Airport on Highway 87. 911 calls were received at around 6.30 a.m. at the San Jose Police Department, and officers went to the scene immediately afterwards. On Wednesday, Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith said to the media, When our deputies went through the door initially, the shooter was still firing rounds. I know for sure that when the suspect knew that law enforcement was there, he took his own life. Deputy Russell Davis, a sheriff's spokesperson, said that federal agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and the FBI are involved in the investigation of the shooting. In acknowledgment of law enforcement preparedness, Davis said, quote, I'll tell you this, with the training that we've been doing with our active shooter protocol, this could have been a lot worse of a situation, unquote. In Davis's press briefing, he declined to confirm any of the names of the dead. Quote, the numbers can change, unquote, said Davis, continuing that law enforcement is, quote, still trying to figure out what exactly happened, unquote. Even as names of the victims and the shooter have not been confirmed, the media reports that the shooter was 57-year-old technician Sam J. Cassidy. Just before 911 calls came into the sheriff's office in San Jose, a two-alarm fire was detected at a home nine miles away from the VTA. Records show that Cassidy was the owner of the household. Federal agents found ammunition inside the house and, in addition, used robots to search the house. Investigations are still underway to determine if the shooting and the fire were in any way linked. After the shooting, the community was devastated. An online fund, which is helping VTA workers and other victims, was set up by Working Partners USA. A link to that fund can be found in this week's show notes. The mayor of San Jose spoke on Wednesday as well. He is a member of the VTA. In a press conference, he said, quote, This is a very dark day for our city and for our community, but we've already seen how people are pulling together in this very, very tough time. These are and were essential workers. These VTA employees helped us get through this horrific pandemic, unquote. Today at the White House, President Biden ordered flags to be flown at half-staff 
He also made a plea to Congress to help pass legislation to stop these shootings. Quote, Every life that is taken by a bullet pierces the soul of our nation, unquote, said Biden in a statement. Quote, we can and we must do more, unquote. Let's now go to my interview with Jeremy Hobson. Jeremy was the former host of NPR's Here and Now, a news show broadcast in the middle of the day. Jeremy also worked as the host of the Marketplace Morning Report before his hosting at Here and Now. We'll talk to him about that career and his early career in radio when he was the host of a show called Treehouse Radio at WILL. Jeremy Hobson is a journalist. He's held positions such as the host of Here and Now. He left that position and the host of the Marketplace Morning Report. Welcome to News Nerds. Thank you so much, Ezra. So you hosted Here and Now along with two other hosts. Um, Why did you leave that position? You know, I had been there for a really long time. Uh, I I started in public radio, actually, when I was even younger than you are uh, right now. I hosted a show uh, uh, called Treehouse Radio when I was nine years old in Illinois. Then through college, I worked in public radio and and was a producer and a reporter and a host. And uh, had at the time that I left in October, I'd been a host of a daily national news show for 10 years. Uh, And, you know, we had built the show into what I wanted it to be, which was a really truly national program. It was, we tripled the audience to over 5 million and uh, I was ready for a new challenge. And so I, I decided to um, embark out and see, see where I end up. Can you describe more about that, that kind of the evolution of Here and Now, how it went from just being a WBUR program to going national? Yeah, so it, it was a sort of a regional show before I joined. It was a one-hour uh, show based out of WBUR, hosted by a number of different people. Robin Young started in, I think, around the year 2000, uh, but the show had existed before that. And then um, when I came in in 2013, NPR uh, decided to become a partner with WBUR to, to do the show together. And they canceled a, a long running talk show that they had called Talk of the Nation. And they decided that this would fill that two hour slot every day on NPR. There were two hosts, it was me and Robin at that time. Uh, and we doubled the show from one to two hours a day. And then the, the real work and what took a long time was to sort of change the mindset of the people who worked on the show, who had been there all along, to go from a a situation where they were thinking about the New England region, when they thought of what to put on the show every day and who to put on the show, to the whole country. And so that's, you know, I had hosted a national show before that, and I grew up in the Midwest. And um, so that was that was one of the things that I had to work on when I got there. Was it hard to um, increase from one hours to two hours and fill that time on a national level um, and also to get that uh, audience to triple? Uh, yes, it was, it was hard. Uh, the, 
on the on the first part of it to fill the time one of the things that we did at the very beginning was to try to create some regular segments on the show so that there were things when we look at the rundown every day of what was going to be on the show the next day there were certain things every day that that were going to be there no matter what where we had a relationship with the guest and we said okay we're going to do i started a business segment every day so for there's four minutes of the two hours is a business segment and we had a guest for monday a guest for tuesday a guest for wednesday thursday and friday different people who would be on live and we could talk to them about anything in business we started a tech segment that was every week we started a political segment that was every week we started a healthcare segment that was every week uh, we we did a tv review segment that was every week so we kind of try to put these things in so that there was less of the two hours to fill every day. But then when we, if, if for some reason there was a huge story and we had to throw one of those things out, we could do that, but it was better to have them as a backup than to have nothing on the show. So that was, that was, that was that part of it. Oh, building the audience. Yeah. So I think over time people started to hear what we were doing and they heard that it was different and they they liked they liked that we were bringing in new voices, younger voices, more diverse voices. They liked that we were truly covering the whole country. I decided I wanted to take the show on the road to a lot of places so that helped I think a lot too. We went and did the show live from some of the stations that we wanted to carry us so that they could really see firsthand what we were doing. Um and we built it up but you know uh I think the other piece of it that had nothing to do with us really is that a lot of news happens in the middle of the day. And so the idea that we were really on top of it, covering the news as it was happening in a very busy news time, uh, made a lot of stations say, we need that show here. We can't be doing a pre-recorded talk show during this time. So here and now is live. It's, it is, we we're on the air live. We were on the air live. It, it is, um, I would say that on a daily basis, when I was there, it was about a third live, a third was recorded that morning, and a third was recorded previously. Because some of the segments are very complicated to produce, like music segments. And you know, if you're if you're interviewing a a, a big name or an author or something like that, you might not be able to book them live. You want to get them, you know, a couple days earlier, and then cut it down and put it on the air. So I bet it was about a third life, but on some days when there's really big news, it would be almost all live. And would your production team uh, make the stories while you were live or would you kind of write the stories as you had pre-recorded segments filling in that time when you were writing um, what you're going to say about these live major events? Uh, I think when it comes down to the live stuff as it's happening, breaking news or something like that, a lot of, more of it relies on the host to figure out how to get through that. The production team is very important too in terms of booking the guests and maybe writing some thoughts and questions down so that we have something to work with. But uh, you know, it, when you're live, it's kind of between the the host and the audience. So you mentioned this uh, about the diverse um, range of people that you brought on. So you're also one of the youngest, you were the one of the youngest people to host a major national NPR show. Yeah, how have you worked to bring those younger and more diverse voices to public radio? Well, so one of the people I brought in as soon as I, as soon as I started hosting the show is we started a regular segment with a guy named Derek Thompson, who's my age, uh, maybe even a little bit younger. I'm 38. He's probably, now he's probably in his mid thirties. But at the time when I started hosting here and now, I had just turned 30 and he was probably in his late twenties. So we brought that in. The, the other 
I mean, so there were there were regular segments that we brought in that, that were younger people. I started a segment called the DJ Sessions, where we brought in a DJ every single week to talk about music they were listening to. Most of those DJs were pretty young. Um, but the other piece of it is, when I would go on the road, I loved talking to younger people and getting their thoughts on what was going on in the news. I remember we did a story where we went out to the University of California, Berkeley, and the whole story was me just going around and interviewing students about what they wanted to do with their life and like why they were studying what they were studying in college. Um, and one of the segments that I did uh, shortly before I left was we, we brought together a panel of uh, high school students and asked them about how all of the news was playing with them, impeachment and, and social media stuff, and trying to bring those voices in to the conversation on a regular basis. So you told us about the 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 show that you hosted when you were nine. It was called Treehouse Radio. Um, tell me about what that was about and your contribution there. Uh, that was a, a show. It was for kids by kids. Actually, I'm going to show you because I have it right here. This is um, this is the actual Treehouse Radio poster that I still have. So it was it was a show that was produced by kids with the help of one adult, um, a woman named Sherry Lynn. And I came in with a she had come to our school to ask us to write radio dramas. Um, so we did that, and mine got selected. And then I came in and 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 recorded it. And then she was like, "Oh, would you like to you know contribute to the show?" And eventually, I even filled in as a host on the show. But one of the one of the, the biggest interview I got to do was with a guy named Dave Barry, who was a, a who still is a very big sort of humorist um, based in Florida. And he was coming to town. And so I, I interviewed him. My co-host, though, got to interview Hillary Clinton. This is back in 1992. So she was running with Bill. Bill Clinton was running for president at the time. Um, so that was a, that was a good one for her. So were you kind of sucked into the job at Treehouse Radio um, or did you really, um, w did radio appeal to you? And if so, what, what appealed to you? Um, radio appealed to me before that. When I, was, when I was like six, seven, eight years old, I was growing up in central Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. And, um, you know, we were not, we were two hours away from the nearest big city, which was Chicago, but we were in the middle of the cornfields, basically. And radio, to me, was the one thing where I had a friend on the other end 24 hours a day. I could turn it on and there was a live person on the other side who was like talking to me, playing music usually. And so I got totally obsessed with the local radio state, one of the local radio stations. And I'd listen to it and I would call in and request songs, you know, uh on saturday nights i would take up like a one one hour of their six hour request night on the radio station i would win pizzas at 10 p.m so i was uh, i was obsessed with radio anyway because i just felt like i i had a friend on the other end and i i think once i figured out that i could use that medium to do really meaningful news programming i think it was a it was a game changer for me so you mentioned that your co-host uh, interviewed Hillary Clinton, and after you went into Here and Now and the Marketplace Morning Report, you interviewed um, very famous individuals like Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett. So uh, what was that like, interviewing these people that uh, many Americans know about and are uh, quite famous among Americans? Yeah, um, you know, I 
I, it made me nervous. I, I will say like every time I bit, did a big interview with somebody like that, um, it definitely made me nervous, but basically, you know, I would go into those interviews thinking I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to prepare as much as I possibly can so that I'm ready. Um, and I'm going to, but I'm going to go in and be just be myself and, and ask the questions that I would want to know the answers to and try to focus on just having a conversation with the person rather than being afraid of, of them. Um, and most of the time that worked and it, and, and it ended up being an interesting conversation. In fact, the question that I asked Warren Buffett that I still remember to this day, you know, I don't really remember much of the rest of the conversation, but I did ask him because I said, you know, Warren Buffett, you're very famous for going to McDonald's. What do you get when you go there? And he said, I get a, what they call it a sausage McBuffet and it's two sausage McMuffins with egg put together. <laughs> So you also did some producing work for shows like All Things Considered, which is a national NPR show. Um, what was it like to work behind the scenes, um, not actually having your voice on the air, but doing the work behind the scenes? It was great. Um, I really enjoyed it, actually. Uh, I got to work with some really great hosts at All Things Considered and other shows, and um, I learned a lot from them. It also, there's a level of, um, you know, it's not, it's when when you're the one on the air the stakes are a little bit higher when you're not the one on the air you can really you're not as afraid of the audience because they're not going to come after you if something goes wrong they're going to go after the person who who actually says the thing so it, it was a it was it was a lot of fun it was it was a great uh, i had a great number of years as as a producer and one of the things i loved about it was to be able to actually talk to the guests beforehand, before we would book them on the show, I got to go out and find the person that was going to be on our show, whether it was somebody who just survived a hurricane or whether it was, uh, you know, somebody uh, who was a professor, an expert on something, whatever it was, I got to call them up, go around, find the right person for the show and book them. What were your um, strategies for getting people on the air um, that, that you would need to kind of hunt down on the internet or make contacts with? Um, well, I think, you know, you go out and you, you try to find the best person. Um, obviously the internet is extremely helpful in, in, in doing that, but I'm, I'm a fan of still making calls to people, uh, making phone calls to them. I, you know, you can email people. And if, if when I was working on a morning show and it was, you know, five o'clock in the morning when we needed to get somebody, yeah, I would email them before I would call them because I didn't want to wake them up. Um, but at a certain point at seven, I was willing to call them. I think like making the actual phone call is, you know, that's part of the job of being a journalist at this point. And, um, you know, people, people, if you email a bunch of people, they may not see it. They may not check it in time. You got to actually, they used to say pound the pavement, which is to get out and actually go and find the person in person. But Pound the pavement on the phones is what, what I like to do to, to actually go and find the people. As somebody who is uh, LGBTQ, what was it like seeing the rise of LGBTQ activists in America and more um, LGBTQ politicians and the rise of that movement in the United States as a reporter and as an individual? Um, it, you know, a lot has changed uh, in the last couple of decades. I, when I when I was graduating from college, I remember that Massachusetts, where I went to to college, was 
about to become the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. And they did it through the courts, not, not because people voted for it. And that was a big news story that people were covering. And it was very interesting to see uh, you know, how reporters felt, even gay reporters, felt that they had to, to play both sides of that issue and say, well, some people say, you know, every time you'd have somebody saying, you know, marriage should be a right for everybody, you'd also have to have somebody on who said, this is, this is a, the wrong thing to do. We shouldn't be allowing gay people to marry. Um, so it was to see where we were then and where we are now. Um, and, and a lot of that did come from, from not just people in the news, but people in entertainment, people like Ellen DeGeneres, uh, shows like Will and Grace. It sort of opened it up a little and, and people realized that actually they knew a lot of people who were LGBT themselves, even if they didn't realize it. And, it, and, and oh, these are just our neighbors and our friends. They're not this other thing that we should be afraid of. Um, that, a lot has changed and that, that has made, I think, uh, that has made a pretty big difference across the, across the industry and the country. We've been talking about your career at Here and Now and other shows, um, but since you've left Here and Now, what's next for you and your career? Um, I, I am trying at this point to, I'm looking at a, a few different options, but I, I want to get back into the media soon. I really do enjoy it. Um, I'm looking at TV and trying to make the, the, the leap from audio to television. Um, I'll see if that works. Um, I'm, I've been trying to, you know, learn more about that and how to do that and practice and get on TV in certain places so I can practice. And I'm also looking at, at different forms of audio. You've got a podcast. A lot of people have podcasts. I'm looking at that too. Um, but I, I want to build a show that does the things that I really think are important in this country right now, which is to bring in a lot of different voices, facilitate a conversation among people, um, allow people to be heard, be interesting, be factual, be entertaining, all those things. If I can build that, um, I don't know what form it'll take, but that's what I'd like to do. Does that form matter to you if it's on radio or on television or some, some mix of those? Um, no, I think it could be, I think it could be either of those. I think that there's something that feels a little more challenging to me about TV because I've been in radio so long that I, I think I would kind of enjoy the new challenge of it, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe that's not the case and maybe I can find just as much of a challenge in audio. Well, Jeremy Hobson, what a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being on News Nerds. Ezra, my pleasure. Great questions. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. Jeremy Hobson is a journalist, and in this interview, we've talked about his career at Here and Now um, and some of the other shows that he has contributed to. It's time for the News Graphical Location Challenge. Let's start internationally this week, as we always do. First is the United States with 97% of all news nerds and listeners. Norway, as always, takes second place with 1% of news nerds and listeners. And we have our third place runners-up. Canada, Portugal, Australia, the United Kingdom, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Germany, India, 
France, the Philippines, Switzerland, Spain, and for the first time ever, South Africa. Woo! Let's go to our United States uh, championship with, of course, as always, Virginia with first place. This time with only 14% of all news nerds listeners in the United States. That's a bit of a drop from a couple weeks ago. Ohio and New Jersey take second place. New Jersey's a new name with 7% of all United States listeners. And Washington takes sixth place with 6% of all News Nerds listeners. And thank you for listening to the News Nerds Geographical Location Challenge. Today, Wednesday, the creator of The Very Hungry Caterpillar died. Eric Carle was 91. Carle is remembered as the creator of numerous picture books, lots of them, about insects just like the caterpillar. Crickets and ladybugs were just two of the many insects Carle put into his books. The Very Hungry Caterpillar was published in 1969 and became a renowned children's classic. A statement issued by Carle's family said he, quote, passed away peacefully and surrounded by family members May 23, 2021, at his summer studio in Northampton, Massachusetts, unquote. Carl illustrated over 70 books for kids in his lifetime. His inspiration? It came mostly from his childhood in New York, even though he started illustrating children's books when he was about 40. When Eric's family moved to Germany, they landed in World War II. Quote, During the war, there was no colors, Everything was gray and browned, and the cities were all camouflaged with grays and greens, and brown greens and gray greens, or brown greens, and there was no color, unquote, said Eric in an interview. 
After he returned back to the United States, he was hired by the New York Times. After that, books illustrated by Carl flowed on and off the shelves, including Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See, The Grouchy Ladybug, and, of course, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. On this week's episode, I was your host. I'm Ezra Graham. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps our ratings. Another way to listen is by listening on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KGVM, Community Radio for the Gallatin Valley. If you are not in the Gallatin Valley area, go to KGVM's website, kgvm.org, to listen on their live stream. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of News Nerds. Until then, bye-bye.